0: Chapter Eight of Elsie Venner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Elsie Venner by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Chapter Eight The Morning After Colonel Sproul's family arose late the next morning the fatigues and excitements of the evening and the preparation for it were followed by a natural collapse of which somnolence was a leading symptom the sun shone into the window at a pretty well-opened angle when the colonel first found himself sufficiently awake to address his yet slumbering spouse sally said the colonel in a voice that was a little husky for he had finished off the evening with an extra glass or two of maddery, and had a somewhat rusty and headachey sense of renewed existence, on greeting the rather advanced dawn. "'Sally! Take care o' them custard-cups! There they go!' Poor Mrs. Sproul was fighting the party over in her dreams, and as the visionary custard cups crashed down through one lobe of her brain into another, she gave a start, as if an inch of lightning from a quart-laden jar had jumped into one of her knuckles with its sudden and lively punk. "'Sally,' said the Colonel, "'wake up, wake up, what are you dreamin' about?' Mrs. Sprawl raised herself, by a sort of spasm, sur sonciant, as they say in France, up on end, as we have it in New England. She looked first to the left— then to the right, then straight before her, apparently without seeing anything, and at last slowly settled down, with her two eyes, blank of any particular meaning, directed upon the colonel. "'What time is it?' she said. Ten o'clock. What you been dreamin' about?' you give a jump like a hopper grass. Wake up, wake up. The party's over, and you been sleepin' all the mornin'. The party's over, I tell ye. Wake up.' "'Over,' said Mrs. Sprell, who began to define her position at last. Over. I should think it was time it was over. It's lasted a hundred year. I've been working for that party longer than Methuselah's lifetime since I been asleep. The pies wouldn't bake, and the blanc-mange wouldn't set, and the ice-cream wouldn't freeze. "'and all the folks kept comin' and comin' and comin. "'Everybody I ever knew in all my life. "'Some of em's been dead this twenty year and more, "'and nothin' for em to eat nor drink. "'The fire wouldn't burn to cook anything, all we could do. "'We blowed with the belluses, "'and we stuffed in paper and pitch-pine kindlings, "'but nothing could make that fire burn. "'And all the time the folks kept comin' as if they'd never stop.' And nothing for em but empty dishes, and all the borrowed Cheney slippin round on the waiters and chippin' and crackin I wouldn't go through what I've been through to-night for all the money in the bank. I do believe it's harder to have a party than to Mrs. Spprol stated the case strongly. The colonel said he didn't know how that might be; She was a better judge than he was. It was bother enough anyhow. And he was glad that it was over. After this, the worthy pair commenced preparations for rejoining the waking world, and in due time proceeded downstairs. Everybody was late that morning, and nothing had got put to rights. The house looked as if a small army had been quartered in it overnight. The tables were, of course, in huge disorder after the protracted assault they had undergone. There had been a great battle, evidently, and it had gone against the provisions. Some points had been stormed, and all their defences annihilated. But here and there were centres of resistance, which had held out against all attacks. Large rounds of beef and solid loaves of cake, against which the inexperienced had wasted their energies in the enthusiasm of youth or uninformed maturity while the longer-headed guests were making discoveries of shell oysters and partridges and similar delicacies the breakfast was naturally of a somewhat fragmentary character a chicken that had lost its legs in the service of the preceding campaign was once more put on duty a great ham stuck with cloves as saint sebastian was with arrows was again offered for martyrdom it would have been a pleasant sight for a medical man of a speculative turn to have seen the prospect before the colonel's family of the next week's breakfast dinners and suppers the trail that one of these great rural parties leaves after it is one of its most formidable considerations every door-handle in the house is suggestive of sweetmeats for the next week at least the most unnatural articles of diet displace the frugal but nutritious food of unconvulsed periods of existence if there is a walking infant about the house it will certainly have a more or less fatal fit from overmuch of some indigestible delicacy before the week is out everybody will be tired to death of sugary forms of nourishment and long to see the last of the remnants of the festival the family had not yet arrived at this condition on the contrary the first inspection of the tables suggested the prospect of days of unstinted luxury and the younger portion of the household especially were in a state of great excitement as the account of stock was taken with reference to future internal investments some curious facts came to light during these researches where's all the oranges gone to said Mrs. Sprell. I expected there'd be ever so many of em left. I didn't see many of the folks eatin' oranges. Where's the skins of em? There ought to be six dozen orange skins round on the plates, and there ain't one dozen, and all the small cakes, too, and all the sugary things that was stuck on the big cakes. Has anybody counted the spoons? Some of em got swallowed, perhaps. I hope they was plated ones if they did.' the failure of the morning's orange crop and the deficit in other expected residual delicacies were not very difficult to account for. In many of the two-story Rockland families, and in those favored households of the neighboring villages whose members had been invited to the great party, there was a very general excitement among the younger people on the morning after the great event. Did you bring home something from the party? What is it? What is it? is it fruit-cake, is it nuts and oranges and apples? Give me some, give me some!" Such a concert of treble voices uttering accents like these had not been heard since the great Temperance Festival with the celebrated collision, in the open air, under the trees of the Parnassian Grove, as the place was christened by the young ladies of the Institute. The cry of the children was not in vain, from the pockets of demure fathers, from the bags of sharp-eyed spinsters, from the folded handkerchiefs of light-fingered sisters, from the tall hats of sly, winking brothers, there was a resurrection of the missing oranges and cakes and sugar-things in many a rejoicing family circle, enough to astonish the most hardened caterer that ever contracted to feed a thousand people under canvas. The tender recollections of those dear little ones, whom extreme youth or other pressing considerations detain from scenes of festivity, a trait of affection by no means uncommon among our thoughtful people, dignifies those social meetings where it is manifested and sheds a ray of sunshine on our common nature. It is an oasis in the desert, to use the striking expression of the last year's valedictorian of the apollinian institute in the midst of so much that is purely selfish it is delightful to meet such disinterested care for others when a large family of children are expecting a parent's return from an entertainment it will often require great exertions on his part to freight himself so as to meet their reasonable expectations a few rules are worth remembering by all who attend anniversary dinners in Fanuel Hall or elsewhere. Thus, lobsters' claws are always acceptable to children of all ages. Oranges and apples are to be taken one at a time, until the coat-pockets begin to become inconveniently heavy. Cakes are injured by sitting upon them. It is, therefore, well to carry a stout tin box of a size to hold as many pieces as there are children in the domestic circle a very pleasant amusement at the close of one of these banquets is grabbing for the flowers with which the table is embellished these will please the ladies at home very greatly and if the children are at the same time abundantly supplied with fruits nuts cakes and any little ornamental articles of confectionery which are of a nature to be unostentatiously removed, the kind-hearted parent will make a whole household happy, without any additional expense beyond the outlay for his ticket. There were fragmentary delicacies enough left, of one kind and another, at any rate, to make all the colonel's family uncomfortable for the next week. It bid fair to take as long to get rid of the remains of the great party as it had taken to make ready for it. In the meantime, Mr. Bernard had been dreaming, as young men dream, of gliding shapes with bright eyes and burning cheeks, strangely blended with red planets and hissing meteors, and shining over all the white, unwandering star of the North, girt with its tethered constellations after breakfast he walked into the parlor where he found miss darley she was alone and holding a school-book in her hand was at work with one of the morning's lessons she hardly noticed him as he entered being very busy with her book and he paused a moment before speaking and looked at her with a kind of reverence it would not have been strictly true to call her beautiful for years since her earliest womanhood those slender hands had taken the bread which repaid the toil of heart and brain from the coarse palms which offered it in the world's rude market. It was not for herself alone that she had bartered away the life of her youth, that she had breathed the hot air of schoolrooms, that she had forced her intelligence to posture before her will as the exigencies of her place required, waking to mental labor sleeping to dream of problems rolling up the stone of education for an endless twelve months term to find it at the bottom of the hill again when another year called her to its renewed duties schooling her temper in unending inward and outward conflicts until neither dullness nor obstinacy nor ingratitude nor insolence could reach her serene self-possession not for herself alone Poorly, as her prodigal labors were repaid, in proportion to the waste of life they cost, her value was too well established to leave her without what, under other circumstances, would have been a more than sufficient compensation. But there were others who looked to her in their need, and so the modest fountain, which might have been filled to its brim, was continually drained through silent flowing, hidden sluices out of such a life inherited from a race which had lived in conditions not unlike her own beauty in the common sense of the term could hardly find leisure to develop and shape itself for it must be remembered that symmetry and elegance of features and figure like perfectly formed crystals in the mineral world are reached only by ensuring a certain necessary repose to individuals and to generations Human beauty is an agricultural product in the country, growing up in men and women as in corn and cattle, where the soil is good. It is a luxury almost monopolized by the rich in cities, bred under glass like their forced pineapples and peaches. Both in city and country, the evolution of the physical harmonies which make music to our eyes requires a combination of favorable circumstances of which alternations of unburdened tranquillity with intervals of varied excitement of mind and body are among the most important where sufficient excitement is wanting as often happens in the country the features however rich in red and white get heavy and the movement sluggish where excitement is furnished in excess as is frequently the case in cities the contours and colours are impoverished and the nerves begin to make their existence known to the consciousness, as the face very soon informs us. Helen Darley could not, in the nature of things, have possessed the kind of beauty which pleases the common taste. Her eye was calm, sad-looking, her features very still, except when her pleasant smile changed them for a moment. All her outlines were delicate, her voice was very gentle but somewhat subdued by years of thoughtful labor and on her smooth forehead one little hinted line whispered already that care was beginning to mark the trace which time sooner or later would make a furrow she could not be a beauty if she had been it would have been much harder for many persons to be interested in her for although in the abstract we all love beauty and although if we were sent naked souls into some ultra-mundane warehouse of soulless bodies and told to select one to our liking we should each choose a handsome one and never think of the consequences it is quite certain that beauty carries an atmosphere of repulsion as well as of attraction with it alike in both sexes we may be well assured that there are many persons who no more think of specializing their love of the other sex, upon one endowed with signal beauty, than they think of wanting great diamonds or thousand-dollar horses. No man or woman can appropriate beauty without paying for it, in endowments, in fortune, in position, in self-surrender, or other valuable stock, and there are a great many who are too poor, too ordinary, too humble, too busy, too proud, to pay any of these prices for it. So the unbeautiful get many more lovers than the beauties, only as there are more of them, their lovers are spread thinner and do not make so much show. The young master stood looking at Helen Darley with a kind of tender admiration. She was such a picture of the martyr by the slow social combustive process that it almost seemed to him he could see a pale lambent nimbus around her head. "'I did not see you at the great party last evening,' he said presently. She looked up and answered, "'No, I have not much taste for such large companies. Besides, I do not feel as if my time belonged to me after it has been paid for. There is always something to do, some lesson or exercise, and it so happened I was very busy last night with the new problems in geometry. I hope you had a good time.' very two or three of our girls were there rosa milburn what a beauty she is i wonder what she feeds on wine and musk and chloroform and coals of fire i believe i didn't think there was such color and flavor in a woman outside the tropics miss darley smiled rather faintly the imagery was not just to her taste femininity often finds it very hard to accept the fact of muliebrity was she stopped short but her question had asked itself elsie there she was for an hour or so she looked frightfully handsome i meant to have spoken to her but she slipped away before i knew it i thought she meant to go to the party said miss darley did she look at you she did why and you did not speak to her no i should have spoken to her but she was gone when i looked for her a strange creature isn't there an odd sort of fascination about her you have not explained all the mystery about the girl what does she come to this school for she seems to do pretty much as she likes about studying miss darley answered in very low tones it was a fancy of hers to come and they let her have her way i don't know what there is about her except that she seems to take my life out of me when she looks at me "'I don't like to ask other people about our girls. "'She says very little to anybody, "'and studies, or makes believe to study, "'almost what she likes. "'I don't know what she is,' Miss Darley laid her hand, "'trembling, on the young master's sleeve. "'But I can tell when she is in the room "'without seeing or hearing her. "'Oh, Mr. Langdon, I am weak and nervous "'and no doubt foolish, but if there were women now, as in the days of our Saviour, possessed of devils, I should think there was something not human looking out of Elsie Venner's eyes. The poor girl's breast rose and fell, tumultuously, as she spoke, and her voice laboured, as if some obstruction were rising in her throat. A scene might possibly have come of it, but the door opened. Mr. Silas Peckham, Miss Darley, got away as soon as she well could." why did not miss darley go to the party last evening said mr bernard well the fact is answered mr silas peckham miss darley she's putty much took up with the school she's an industrious young woman yes she is industrious but perhaps she ain't quite so spry a worker as some maybe considerin she's paid for her time she isn't fur out of the way in occupying herself evenings that is if so be she ain't smart enough to finish up all her work in the daytime education is the great business of the institute amusements are objects of a secondary nature according to my view the unspellable pronunciation of this word is the touchstone of new england brahmanism mr bernard drew a deep breath his thin nostrils dilating as if the air did not rush in fast enough to cool his blood, while Silas Peckham was speaking. The head of the Apollonian Institute delivered himself of these judicious sentiments in that peculiar, acid, penetrating tone, thickened with a nasal twang, which not rarely becomes hereditary after three or four generations raised upon east winds, salt fish, and large, white-bellied pickled cucumbers." he spoke deliberately as if weighing his words well so that during his few remarks mr bernard had time for a mental accompaniment with variations accented by certain bodily changes which escaped mr peckham's observation first there was a feeling of disgust and shame at hearing helen darley spoken of like a dumb working animal that sent the blood up into his cheeks then the slur upon her probable want of force, her incapacity, who made the character of the school and left this man to pocket its profits, sent a thrill of the old Wentworth fire through him, so that his muscles hardened, his hands closed, and he took the measure of Mr. Silas Peckham, to see if his head would strike the wall, in case he went over backwards all of a sudden this would not do of course and so the thrill passed off and the muscles softened again then came that state of tenderness in the heart overlying wrath in the stomach in which the eyes grow moist like a woman's and there is also a great boiling up of objectionable terms out of the deep-water vocabulary so that prudence and propriety and all the other pious peas have to jump upon the lid of speech to keep them from boiling over into fierce articulation all this was internal chiefly and of course not recognized by mr silas peckham the idea that any full-grown sensible man should have any other notion than that of getting the most work for the least money out of his assistants had never suggested itself to him mr bernard had gone through this paroxysm and cooled down In the period while Mr. Peckham was uttering these words in his thin shallow whine, twanging up into the frontal sinuses. What was the use of losing his temper and throwing away his place, and so, among the consequences which would necessarily follow, leaving the poor lady teacher without a friend to stand by her, ready to lay his hand on the grand inquisitor before the windlass of his rack had taken one turn too many? no doubt mr peckham he said in a grave calm voice there is a great deal of work to be done in the school but perhaps we can distribute the duties a little more evenly after a time i shall look over the girl's themes myself after this week perhaps there will be some other parts of her labor that i can take on myself we can arrange a new program of studies and recitations we can do that said mr silas Peckham but I don't propose materially alterin' Miss Darley's duties. I don't think she works to hurt herself. Some of the trustees have proposed introducing new branches of study, and I expect you will be pretty much occupied with the duties that belong to your place. On the Sabbath you will be able to attend divine service three times, which is expected of our teachers. I shall continue myself to give sabbath scripture readings to the young ladies that is a solemn duty i can't make up my mind to commit to other people my teachers enjoy the lord's day as a day of rest in it they do no manner of work except in cases of necessity or mercy such as filling out diplomas or when we get crowded just at the end of a term or when there is an extra number of pupils or other providential call to dispense with the ordinance. Mr. Bernard had a fine glow in his cheeks by this time, doubtless kindled by the thought of the kind consideration Mr. Peckham showed for his subordinates in allowing them the between meeting time on Sundays, except for some special reason. But the morning was wearing away, so he went to the schoolroom, taking leave very properly of his respected principal, who soon took his hat and departed mr peckham visited certain stores or shops where he made inquiries after various articles in the provision line and effected a purchase or two two or three barrels of potatoes which had sprouted in a promising way he secured at a bargain a side of feminine beef was also obtained at a low figure he was entirely satisfied with a couple of barrels of flour which being invoiced slightly damaged were to be had at a reasonable price. After this Silas Peckham felt in good spirits. He had done a pretty stroke of business. It came into his head, whether he might not follow it up, with a still more brilliant speculation. So he turned his steps in the direction of Colonel Sproul's. It was now eleven o'clock, and the battlefield of last evening was as we left it. Mr. Peckham's visit was unexpected. Perhaps not very well-timed, but the Colonel received him civilly. "'Beautifully lighted these rooms last night,' said Mr. Peckham. "'Winter strained?' The Colonel nodded. "'How much do you pay for your winter strained?' The Colonel told him the price. "'Very handsome supper, very handsome. Nothing ever seen like it in Rockland. Must have been a great heap of things left over.' The compliment was not ungrateful and the colonel acknowledged it by smiling and saying i should think there was a trifle come and look when silas peckham saw how many delicacies had survived the evening's conflict his commercial spirit rose at once to the point of a proposal colonel sprell said he there's meat and cakes and pies and pickles enough on that table to spread a handsome collation "'If you'd like to trade reasonable, I think perhaps I should be willing to take em off your hands. "'There's been a talk about our having a celebration in the Parnassian Grove, "'and I think I could work in what your folks don't want "'and make myself whole by charging a small sum for tickets. "'Broken meats, of course, ain't of the same value as fresh provisions, "'so I think you might be willing to trade reasonable.' Mr. Peckham paused and rested on his proposal. It would not, perhaps, have been very extraordinary if Colonel Sproul had entertained the proposition. There is no telling beforehand how such things will strike people. It didn't happen to strike the Colonel favorably. He had a little red-blooded manhood in him. "'Sell you them things to make a collation out of?' the Colonel replied. "'Walk up to that table, Mr. Peckham, and help yourself.' Fill your pockets, Mr. Peckham. Fetch a basket, and our hired folk shall fill it full for ye. Send a card, if ye like, and carry off them leavens to make a celebration for your pupils with. Only let me tell you this. As sure as my name's Hezekiah Sproul, you'll be known through the town and through the country, from that day forward, as the principal of the broken Victuals Institute. Even provincial human nature sometimes has a touch of sublimity about it mr silas peckham had gone a little deeper than he meant and come upon the hard pan as the well-diggers call it of the colonel's character before he thought of it a militia colonel standing on his sentiments is not to be despised that was shown pretty well in new england two or three generations ago there were a good many plain officers that talked about their regiment and their country who knew very well how to say make ready take aim fire in the face of a line of grenadiers with bullets in their guns and bayonets on them and though a rustic uniform is not always unexceptionable in its cut and trimmings yet there was many an ill-made coat in those old times that was good enough to be shown to the enemy's front rank too often to be left on the field with a round hole in its left lapel, that matched another going right through the brave heart of the plain country captain, or major, or colonel, who was buried in it under the crimson turf. Mr. Silas Peckham said little or nothing. His sensibilities were not acute, but he perceived that he had made a miscalculation. He hoped that there was no offense, though it might have been mutually agreeable, concluded he would give up the idea of a collation and backed himself out as if unwilling to expose the less guarded aspect of his person to the risk of accelerating impulses the colonel shut the door cast his eye on the toe of his right boot as if it had had a strong temptation looked at his watch then round the room and going to a cupboard swallowed a glass of deep red brandy and water to compose his feelings. End of chapter 8.